0: Thank you. Welcome to Conversations from Here with me, Dana Ziegler. These candid, unfettered talks create connection and inspiration across the human story. These are the sharings of how we came to be ourselves, how we found our life's purpose, and how we made it from there to here. I speak with performers, artists, artisans, creators, innovators, entrepreneurs, and other remarkable people about what they do and how they came to do it. Also, the music you hear on this show is performed, as always, by Brad Watson. Today I speak with one of Chicago's own, epic talent and towering heart, Cynthia Levin. She is a stand-up comic, an actress, a writer, a director, an acting teacher, a citizen of the world, and a comedy store regular. We talk about growing up in the Second City, moving to L.A. in a less-than-ideal relationship, finding comedy by accident, going up at the improv and at the comedy store, connecting with Mitzi Shore, reflecting on beloved comedy store pianist and archivist Jeff Scott, who passed away recently, falling in love with London, doing her own thing, connecting with the truth, and embracing vulnerability. It's a talk both deep and wide. I hope you enjoy it. It's great. Here's me and Cynthia. So we are hitting record. Hello there, Ms. Cynthia Levin. Thank you so much for doing this. Thanks for having me. How are you? I am. I'm just, I'm so happy to see your face because it's been five million years and I think the last time that we ran into you was uh was was at the arc light
1: was it it was I don't even remember that joint um that was
0: that was before before the uh BC before the COVID thing yeah what movie were you saying do you remember I don't remember it was so long ago I mean I don't remember either I don't even <laughs> remember what
1: movie I saw
0: last over there yeah but um but but anyway it's been it's been quite a quite a slog Quite a haul um yep. but it's really good to see you and you um I, I wanted to talk a bit about so usually in in this we talk about um origination points and i know you are a chicago gal mm-hmm. yep i'm wearing my chicago white socks t-shirt right now wow so. okay so you're so you're what you're a socks not a cubs fan
1: yeah well i grew up my dad grew up on the west side of chicago so we weren't allowed to watch the cubs it was illegal and uh, we weren't allowed to go to the games we weren't allowed to talk about it and then i started dating a guy who would come over and just you know screw with my dad intentionally and just literally just talk start talking to him about the cubs you know the Cubs, and um, my dad would literally lose his mind um but yeah i um yeah so we used to go to all he, my dad had season tickets to the cubs uh sorry the white sox games uh, when I was younger. So, you know, basically all we did was eat the entire time. We ate everything that they sold, you know, just <laughs>
0: so isn't there uh, also
1: cotton a, candy. Yeah,
0: Peanuts. Isn't there, isn't there also a rule about hot dogs in Chicago? Like what well, is
1: Right. The hot dogs in Chicago are, are Vienna hot dogs and poppy seed buns. Um, the original Chicago dog is meant to be with celery salt and mustard and relish. I'm not a fan. I like the mustard part. That's it. Um, I love mustard, ketchup, pickled tomato. That's my hot dog. And um, I, I try not to fantasize about them. I really do. It's not. It's so far. I mean, I know they're so illegal, and you know all that stuff. And yet, I find myself just. I mean, I literally obsess on it sometimes. I used to work at a hot dog stand, and sometimes I ate three a day. I'm not playing. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. I'm, I'm so, fine. <laughs> so you spent your childhood. Going to games um, and, yeah. uh, and 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 uh, and not going to Wrigley Field.
1: Like no, nope. I mean so. I started. You know, when I started to date, well, in Grant, you know, like my friends would go to Wrigley Field, so we would uh, cut school. Uh, oh, am I in trouble? And um, you know, we would take the train. You know, the L to um, to Wrigley Field, and um, and that was really exciting. You know, and because it was closer to my house. You know, we I lived on the north side of Chicago, so. Um, It was was closer, so it was easier to get over there. And it was fun, it was a smaller park. It was, you know, it's old, there was an intimacy to it. Um, um, And it it was really fun when I went with my friends and, you know, um, I cut school to do it. Um, And then with my boyfriend, as I was talking about, Mark Schmidt, the now fireman, Um, six, six, blonde, green-eyed German Goy, um, which was the exact opposite of everything I was supposed to enjoy. And oh, did I enjoy. Opposites attract. I'll say hello. Anything that's not like anybody that looks like that in my my family, if you don't look like me, um, I'm interested, you know, pretty much so. (laughs) But um, yeah, so uh, yeah, so it was fun. And then I used to go to games with him. Uh, So I've been to both parks many, many times. Yeah.
0: You know, Chicago seems to be one of those places where everybody everybody I know from Chicago, the city looms large in their imagination and in their, in their fond memories in a way that few other places do. There's something really special about it.
1: Absolutely. Um, you, everybody I talk to, I mean, I'm obsessed with Chicago. I mean, one of the best things my parents did or maybe the best thing my parents did, let's let's be honest was to bring me up, us up in Chicago. It is a great city. And I, I you know, I've lived in London and Los Angeles and New York and New Jersey, you know and I've, and all I ever do is fantasize about Chicago. <clears throat> and it's very sad, but it's like the, the entertainment business is here and my family's there. So I, you know. <laughs> so I'm not <laughs>
0: Well, and one of the special things about Chicago and and um, I, I was obsessed with architecture and architecture history in school yes I remember well, going course. to Chicago and I remember was it was it was it uh 1894 am I getting that right that the great I, fire was I think it was 1893 I'm not sure okay. but I could be wrong yeah so then after that all these great architects that's right Chicago to rebuild the city.
1: And I, that's a woman from right from the, all these Scandinavian architects the you know Germans the Germans Swiss, yep. uh, yeah yeah they came in and they rebuilt the city and they but they you know the city is so beautifully laid out you know, it's a, there's a beautiful plan to Chicago. I mean, Los Angeles is a freak show. Even London, you know, is a freak show. It's just yeah. like add on, add on, add on, you know, it's like, we got a join her, you know what I mean? That kind of thing. That's a waitress term, by the way, in case you don't know. <laughs> anyway, so, but, you know I mean? So, um, so yeah, so that's, uh, yeah. So the city itself, the architecture is beautiful. It's on the lake. The lake is beautiful. I love the food. Um, I, I, I'm madly in love with like every neighborhood, it doesn't matter where you go and what neighborhood you find yourself in you're going to there's a river like, that's the other thing the yes, sh- know, river. that's right and um it goes uh near from like near lake michigan um i think it's a it goes east west and um yeah and uh, which is sort of perpendicular to the to lake michigan so um you making i hope i'm making sense but yeah so anyway um beautiful yeah i'm not actually not making sense it goes north south
0: yeah it's going somewhere okay. and, it, and we i don't do, know where the hell i'm
1: talking about let's be honest
0: <laughs> well and i and i do know that it, it's dyed green for uh for saint Patty St. 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 patty's day right? yeah <laughs> yeah of course i don't know how i'm not going to ask what they use or how they do it yeah but, um, i don't know either so then so then of course chicago is also known for second city and right you were, you were 15 when you started studying there
1: yeah, yeah. I started studying at uh, Players Workshop from Second City, um, which was, uh, I think it was before they even had classes at Second City, they started having classes there. Joy, Forrestberg Forestberg um, was the owner of Players Workshop from Second City and she started classes at Second City themselves. Um, so I started there, graduated from there. We did our kids show. I did the kids show at Second City on Sundays. Completely hungover, you know, eating an Arby's turkey sandwich, you know, was shoved into my nostrils, just like anything to serve, you know, to live through, you know, this big audience <laughs> of mixture of kids and old people. <laughs> it was crazy. Um, anyway, but um, yeah, it was actually an amazing beginning for me. I'm really grateful for it. And then I studied at Second City and. Um, yeah, you, and then I got thrown out eventually because they oh. told me I needed to take a Tai Chi class, you know, and then come back. And I, I was so resentful. I was like, "Tai Tai Chi, you fucking calm down. You calm down. How dare you? You know?" Because I guess they said I was too hyper. <laughs> Interesting. So and that was yeah. After three, so I was at level two B. They added levels, more and more levels. It's the more you stay there, they're like, "Okay, great. So we're going to keep you here. There's going to be a level, you know, four, uh, you know, four A, one I." You see you know just so they can keep getting the dough coming in but anyway but when I was there it was a really amazing place and amazing talented people so they were trying to help you and you took it as an insult that they wanted you to do tai chi oh absolutely are you kidding me I mean well the teacher was a little bit wacky my teacher really was um but you know and he was you know beyond his time as well though I mean he was spiritual he would like have you breathe out into the fill the room now fill the you know fill the street now fill the you know fill the neighborhood now fill and I was like you can go fucking fill your fucking neck I'll kill you like I had no I was like a total man it's <laughs> an animal what do you mean breathe I'll I'll kill somebody you know what I mean I was crazy but um I loved playing characters and I loved the people I got to you know work off of they really were brilliant and so um much smarter than myself like i didn't read and that was like there was a girl who would read the newspaper you know before every uh class and i'd be like all right melinda i can't you know you're you know i can't keep up with you you know because you get tapped on the shoulder and you're fucking out you know what i mean it's like uh you know so i you know and so again i was like a bit of a rebel my 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 tv pilot which was my the, which was a movie originally that I wrote, like, it's called Unprepared for Life. And because I really was like, I had nothing in my brain, nothing. So
0: you can imagine me up against people who read. <laughs> well, clearly, you had something because in the, be- you must have been exhibiting um, propensities for performance because your parents shoved you in the direction of Second City.
1: Well, they didn't No,
0: they didn't do it. I did it. Oh, really? um, okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah, um, no, I I signed up for my first acting class. I looked in the yellow pages and I signed myself up for an acting class. And of course it was like with people who were 11, you know, I mean, they were like, they were like children and I was like really tall. So I had to play all the old characters, you know, anyway, really embarrassing, but, and then, and then um, no, yeah. Then my my sister Leslie, actually, my oldest sister told me about Second City uh, classes, but I think that was after I can't remember if that was, uh, I think it was after I had already graduated from Players Workshop and stuff like that. I don't know. I mean, seriously, I really had nothing in my brain, but I did have, yes, I had good instincts. I was definitely uh, a comic. Like I was always imitating people. I was always making, you know, like I couldn't help but impersonate people. Like I couldn't, you know what I mean? If something stuck out to me, I would just mimic it. I was a mimic. That's what I would
0: say. A mimic. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that there's something people either have that or they don't. It's not something that you can learn. It's kind of just something by vibrant. Right. Yeah,
1: I think it's like a survival mechanism. Like for me, it was like totally, I was like, kind of didn't have the greatest childhood. So I was, um, I was like, needed, you know, you would say that attention thing. When I made people laugh, it made me realize that I existed. And so, you know, and so I, before I got a laugh, the first laugh I ever got, um which was for my family when we went to and believe me they weren't laughing with me before um but um when we Did were I like at you they were not they i didn't exist uh, <laughs> i was either yelled at slapped pinched um you know because i swore I, I started swearing at a really young age and you know what i mean just i was a i was a rebel you know but um for good reason but um yeah so but yeah, we were at some diner and, you know, we used to go camping all the time, like every summer. Mm-hmm. And so we were on our way to go camping somewhere. And I think we were in South Carolina and the waitress came. We were at a little diner, you know, like the sheriff, you could see the sheriff's back sitting, sitting on the stool, you know, you could just see his wide ass just sitting yeah, He just hovering over the goddamn counter, waiting for that goddamn grilled cheese sandwich, goddamn it, you know. And I remember the waitress came over. We were all like shoved into one booth, and I don't think any of us had ever touched each other before that day. And um, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> yeah, because we were you know Catholics, we didn't go to church, you know. So anyway, but um, so we were like shoved in this booth together. And uh, I remember the waitress coming over, and she said, you know, I, I ordered a grilled cheese sandwich, and then she said, "How'd you like some French fries?" And I said, you know, I was like little, you know, what I mean, like, like my little head just ended up going. How'd you like some French fries? You know, I just like mocked her right back to her neck, you know, and then, and then I got my first laugh, which then of course, after that they were like, don't encourage her. And then they never laughed again. But anyway, um, but that was, <laughs> I saw it after that forever, you know, so yeah.
0: I that think there's also maybe something of a survival mechanism in mimicking because it's a way of blending in like subconsciously as a kid, you know, mm. there's a certain feeling of safety that you got, you know, fitting in. Would you like French fries of that?
1: Yeah. I'd like some French fries. <laughs> I've you know, um, I, you know, that's an interesting thing. I think that that <clears throat> might be true. I always wanted to feel like I lived everywhere I went. Like I wanted, I never wanted to to feel or look like somebody who was visiting but wanted to be a part of and um, you know didn't want to stick out, just wanted to be um, um, I wanted to be one of them. Always wanted to be one of them, no matter where I was. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Interesting. And yet yeah. with the family, you were rebelling against who they were. It's like you wanted to be elsewhere, fit in to Uh, other places. A
1: hundred percent. You know, I was sort of like called me the black sheep. I was very different from my brothers and sisters. Um, They were, you know, they were much like kind of followed down the line of my parents, like my dad in particular. Um, He was a doctor and my sister became a nurse. My brother wanted to be a doctor, became a psychiatrist. My other brother wanted to I think he wanted to be a or a doctor, or they thought they were supposed to be doctors, but he ended up being an attorney. Um, and um, my mom was a social worker for a little while. And um, and uh, yeah, so they were kind of all kind of following down
0: this line. I had six, bro- five brothers and sisters. So wow, yeah, that's yeah. a that's a that's a bunch of people. That's yeah, yeah. And then and then um, you. Uh, after you graduated from Second City, is that when you headed to, that happened before you came to LA, right? Yeah, yeah.
1: so yeah, um, I moved to LA in uh, 1987. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, I was just a child, you know, I was in my early 20s, and um, I moved here with a an abusive bodybuilder, coke addict, steroid addict boyfriend named Goldilocks because he had long golden locks.
0: Yeah, you, you, you go for the blondes, <laughs>
1: the Nordics. Yeah, you know, <laughs> listen, anybody who looks at me, I'm interested, I mean, you know, pretty much, but um, yeah, so he, um, but yeah, he was an abusive, not a good guy, but we ended up coming out here together and he wanted to work out outside. That was his goal. He just, yeah, he wanted to exercise on on Venice Beach you know, because it wasn't good enough. There wasn't enough people looking at him, you know, and, you know, and indoors. So yeah, I'm not kidding you. That was like a dream of his. Wow. And he did. And he would like go out on Venice, you know, that you remember, you know, that, stupid, yeah, muscle, beach. Yeah, yeah. that yeah, muscle beach. So stupid. Um, it's a playground yeah. for narcissists. <laughs> oh, it, it really is. I mean, it's, it's unreal. And um, so eventually I got rid of him, but, um, but yeah, it was not easy. And it was, it was bad news. It was the worst, worst time of my life and I've had a lot of them so
0: you can imagine that (laughs) and yet and yet it got you here yep and then and then my understanding is that you you fell into comedy that you did it by accident
1: totally yeah I um I I was I started dating a guy because he was nice um so it was like a big contrast from my previous experience and he was not the hottest looking guy but he was a nice person and he said to me, um, he had a lot of money. That was not why I was with him. I didn't even understand money, you know. Um,
0: he <laughs> was a nice man. He was nice, yeah. And yeah,
1: when I was I was, I was temping at uh, Sunset Gower Studios and um, he was working there in a higher position than myself. Believe it or not, I was in the lowest position. And he said, um, you know, you should take this class. I'll pay for it. I'll pay for the down payment. <clears throat> and so I said, uh, okay. You know, I just assumed it was, he said, my brother took it and I think he really liked it. I think you'll like it. So I show up there and um, thinking it was an acting class, you know, so I wore leg warmers just in case they wanted me to dance, you know, I'm just kidding. But anyway, you know, I wore barrettes <laughs> in my hair, you know, anyway. So anyway, just, you know, dance wrap skirt. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Dance skin, wrap skirt. You know, I was just ready to be an actor, you know? And um, and then it turned out it was a stand up class with Judy Carter. And, um, and then the first time I went up on stage, um, I just started talking about the fucking, you know, abusive bodybuilder, coke addict, steroid addict named Goldilocks, you know? and uh and how i had to feed him six times a day and um and stuff like that and just acted it was just like sort of like I, and I felt like i found my soul that day and uh judy carter literally said right then she goes you're you're a natural you're a natural and it really you know i needed that you know i really needed that and um and so i never stopped doing it and that was um in 1990 so it's almost 31 years now. Wow.
0: Wow. Yeah. And, and you, f- you felt like you'd met your tribe that you landed in the right spot. I felt, I think
1: I knew that. I mean, it was more like I found my soul. Like I felt like, Oh, this is who I am. Mm-hmm. Right. Like in that, like, cause again, you're up there by yourself, you know, but then when I started to do the open mic scene, um, <clears throat> then I did feel like, These are, these. this is my family. I did definitely felt that way. We were performing five to seven nights a week, sometimes three shows a night. Mm -hmm. We were desperate, you know, just to get on stage. So um, I did thousands and thousands of shows. I mean, just like insane. And, but it was, I never, I had this thing where I didn't want to ever repeat myself. Not because I had some kind of, it was just, I couldn't help it. Like. I, you know, cause everything else would mean preparation. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I just kept doing different material all the time. And so, you know, I started to get like a bit of a fan base based on just, they knew I wasn't, they were, they're going to get to, and plus I was having a really sickening life, you know, like my life was sickening. And so I cried all day and then I would have epiphanies and then I would go up on stage and talk about it. So that's really why, you know what I mean? It was just like, I, it was, it was all I could do. It was all I could do. So
0: yeah, when did you start at the comedy store? That- in 1990, uh, I started
1: performing there immediately. Like uh, 1990, I was doing belly room shows. I think already 1991, and uh, and then and you know I was doing like the Sunday night show, fucking like in, oh so scary, you know, so scary those three minutes. And then I started doing belly room shows um, every weekend. And then um, and then and then in 1993. Um, I was hanging out with John Mulrooney, who's a really funny comic. He's one of my favorites. Um, And uh, he went and brought Mitzi Shore upstairs to come and see me in the belly room. And she, after the set, because I didn't know she was in there, you know, I was just doing my thing. And she, somebody, you know, I think I went to go to the back of the room, like, you know, where you hang out. And she was standing there with, next to John. And she said, um. She said, she goes, uh, do you know who I am? And I said, yes. And I started laughing. And then she goes, she goes, I'm Mitzi Shore. She goes, um, she goes, uh, she goes, congratulations. You're a regular at the comedy store.
0: Mm. And
1: then I said, um, she goes, do you know what that means? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I said, yes, but I really didn't, you know.
1: I go, yes. And then she goes, um, she goes, Call Scott Day on Monday with your availability. Congratulations. And it was um, yeah. So she's been sort of like this surrogate mother for me my whole life. Like surrogate still- mother. Yeah, she really was. I mean. This is a female who saw me you know an older female who saw me and believed in me and it was a very big deal for me because I hadn't experienced much of that so it really um <clears throat> was a and she continued to be a fan without judgment continuously she yeah. never she never wavered from that never
0: yeah and she and she found so many people Saw things and so many people, and nurtured them along, and and, and it was, it, it was amazing. I remember um, going to the memorial for Mitzi at the store mm-hmm. after she passed, and yep. all the stories and all the in the people who showed up. <coughs> Excuse was, me, yeah, uh, mm-hmm. in, incredible. Jim Carrey was there, Louie Anderson, and all those yeah. people, and it was yeah. just like it was I amazing. Was too. Yeah, it was. It was.
1: Yeah. yeah, I remember seeing you there. Yeah, it was. Um. Yeah, it was a really. I mean. That was a special night, you know, it was all about Mitzi. Nobody, you know, like mostly, usually when somebody dies and we've had many, many, many fucking comics pass and some of them, my best friends and my ex-fiance and, you know, Freddie Soto and um, Marilyn Martinez, who was my best friend at the time. So, you know, but comics go to these things and they just turn it into some kind of like I don't know, some kind of desperate show about themselves and it's and it's and it loses its point, you know, and um, and it's really and it makes it ruins it, you know, it does. And so, but when it but Mitzi's memorial was different because nobody could nobody even tried to to make themselves more important than her, Mm -hmm. it was impossible to to do that, so it was a really, really pleasant night, you know it really was so that was good for that joint
0: (laughs) you know what and i did want to uh, i did want to mention um a a sweet soul that we lost um several days ago of course yeah jeff scott yeah um long time piano player and archivist for the store and um did you want to say anything about him because i I, I wanted to
1: yeah, sure. Last night, we did a Zoom uh, with the Comedy Store and some people that were kind of family and, you know, some like some employees and then some comics who wanted to be a part of it or invited to be a part of it. And to, you know, spread the word as well, of course, but um, it was supposed to be relatively intimate and um, It was really, it was great, actually, to see everybody, especially because, you know, you're not seeing these people during the pandemic and et cetera. So many other things that have gone down since before during and after um <clears throat> but um I, I i i cried for for three days straight i mean i i i was devastated and um um i don't know i met jeff before the comedy store actually we did a cable show penny wiggins cable show and he played del arte the you know her her sidekick this 86 year old man who played you know played the piano and he was and did some horror like really funny like magic tricks jeff was a massive entertainer i mean he was a massive talent and a massive entertainer and so um and then you know and then in terms of like after then i was a huge fan of his like straight away i was like this guy's brilliant you know and i was a fucking idiot i mean i was like in my early 20s i mean they had me on the show and i watched it back he posted it on my page one day and it was like so embarrassing but i was so loved it at the same time you know and um anyway but um so then when he started working at the store and I still, you know he came actually after me because he didn't start till 95 and I became a regular 93 but um he was like this he was a constant light in a place that is really full of darkness to be fair you know dark and, iniquity. <laughs> yeah exactly it's a really hard place to be and especially if you're a female or have any light about you the darkness is was going to zap it mm-hmm. and um and so uh, Jeff was always a light and he always made you feel like, you know, no, you're welcome. You live here. You are a part of this place and you matter. Now get your fucking ass in here. He didn't have to say anything. It was all about what he, I mean, he did, but not like that. He would just sort of like, Hey, how you doing? You know, whatever, just start chatting and just really happy to see you. Yeah. And I had gone and left the comedy store three times you know, and came back this last time. And he was like the, one of the few energies in there that was positive and welcoming mm-hmm. this especially this last time because i feel like it's gotten it was different you know it's different and i um, not, not not as much of a it wasn't wasn't for me anymore you know but but jeff was always it was always a bright light and so he was a gift to all of us an absolute fucking gift and he was a pure talent so anyway um really grateful to him and i thanked him i put on like three posts i couldn't you know i seriously could not stop crying for it was just a crazy you never know how something's gonna hit you you know
0: yeah and and i the thing that i i um that really struck me about him was how like how welcome he how welcoming he was yeah. to me and of course because i was brad and whatever and yeah. and and he knew that we loved history and 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 you know right. and and of course he was the keeper of the lore of the comedy store and its history right. and i remember he took us into the i think this was probably a couple of christmas parties ago and Uh, we went into the main room and almost nobody was there at the time and he said don't tell me which story he told you which one did you did you know that that the whole front of the stage they they could they could you know they had people this was back when it was zeroes yes they'd have people you know coming up through the floor and he was telling us that and then also about the 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 mirror the two-way mirror in the dressing room where the goombas would be you know looking oh i didn't know about
1: the the mirror Oh. Yeah, that's
0: in the back room when you go behind yeah, the stage it, yeah. of, the, uh, of the main room, yep. and then you go yep. into the, the bar, and then there's that right. little kind of alcove sort of a thing, and he was taking us around, so it was so much fun, because it was like, oh. like, come with me, children. You yes. Know? <laughs>
1: yes, 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 I mean, I loved his stories. He'd been telling me those stories for, you know, decades. I mean, they're just incredible, freaky, wild stories that stay with me forever, yeah. Yeah, he <clears throat> you know, I mean the comedy store needed him and I feel like and this is a terrible thing to say but I feel like Jeff passing is like the last nail in the comedy store coffin as I'm concerned.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, and and you know, it's very, I mean he was a really great friend to Brad as well and yeah. and, and uh, you know, a comrade in keys and yes, and yeah.
1: Brad is a Brad is the piano player who who is there when Jeff doesn't work, but I guess on Monday, Tuesday nights or Tuesday, I can't remember. yeah.
0: Yeah, but, so exactly. they would sub for each other, and, right, and, right. Uh, and, and Brad actually has been there since, uh, I think he got there a year later than Jeff. In 96, yeah? yeah. Yes, yes, uh-huh. so he's he is now the longest. The, the, wow, I didn't the realize Brad had been there that long. I mean, veteran, yeah, amazing, amazing. Yeah, so, uh, but anyway, but I did want to give a shout out and much to oh, like yeah. Jeff Scott, because he was you- a special Special. He was the
1: gift of the comedy store. I'm telling you, he was the soul of the comedy store. He was the one constant. And so, um, yeah, so he's going to be sorely missed
0: by everyone forever, forever. Yeah. And there's definitely something about the store that is, that is sort of a darkness. I remember first going there and, and being scared, actually. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> when I, when I, Most women don't last there. Just thinking about how if hell had a comedy club, it would be this one. Just yep. like all the red and black and all that. 100%. Media, you know? It is hell. <laughs> it is. And, and I, I find it amazing that I, you know, I met one of the bright lights there in that back hallway, That's of amazing. course, my Brad Watson, the aforementioned. Yes,
1: yeah. yeah, amazing. Yeah. And,
0: and uh, initially I was like, I don't know, you know. What was were you doing in? there? Why were you there? I was there um, supporting the Jeff Husband's belly room show, Adam's. Okay, yeah. Uh, and sure. yeah. thing. The clownhouse thing on sunday nights and yeah. so i would be there every once in a while and and brad would be in the hallway and and i didn't know this but he would actually time his his stepping out of the freezing or yes the room yes
1: he was always cold, cold, cold there always room. cold complaining of being cold yes. i know yeah
0: and the air blows Blowing right, right on them i know right on him so right. he would be out and evidently he noticed me long before i noticed him oh uh-huh so Eventually, eventually, I talked to him and discovered that he was a really lovely man that he was, yes. you know, yes. you just don't know, you know, of course. you go going to Hell's comedy club. You,
1: no, exactly. Familiar. He was not the same energy of that place. Brad does Why not I match not? that energy. Not at all. No.
0: Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. So now my fiance and, and um, the the man with whom I share this, uh, this, you can see his, I'm showing his keyboard. Yes. Version, yes. So beautiful yes but so then so so going back um so you discovered comedy etc and you were doing a lot of it and where else you you also were at the improv a lot as well yeah i
1: was i was a new face at the improv early days even before i became a regular at the at the comedy store i was a new mm-hmm. face at the improv and um And so, yeah, so I started there and I was doing a lot of shows there um, and also doing a lot of all of our business, our uh, showcase shows. We were always at the improv, you know, Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, what industry would actually come out and see you, you know. And I used to get called in, you know, I would always get literally called in after every single one of them by a casting director of like Fox or um, Warner Brothers or NBC. Or, I mean, it was hilarious, you know, I mean, but I was a a twit, you know, I mean, just an idiot. I remember going into one, <laughs> one interview, um, it was at, uh, I think it was at Fox and they said, um, they go, so um, what do you, you know, how do you see your career? Like, what do you want, what do you, how do you, what do you see yourself doing? And I said, you know, and I said, well, definitely not television. I go, I fucking hate television.
0: was <laughs> <still> Fox television.
1: <laughs> I go, um, I go only like movies. I just want to do movies. <laughs> such an idiot. And then they go, well, you know, um, I really wouldn't, I just wanna, I would say, I wouldn't say that uh, next time you have an, a meeting that for, with the TV, uh, you know, executive that you hate television and that you don't wanna do it. You just want to do it. it. was so funny. I was like, oh, okay.
0: <laughs> yeah, especially since people like Judy Dench will do television. Like it was- Exactly. Because- but this is the old days when TV
1: sucked. And to be fair, I hate sitcoms and I still hate sitcoms. So I haven't changed but like I'm writing one for myself, but it's not the same. Cause remember they were all sort of like, <laughs> you know with the laugh track and you know what I mean? And they were all on, <laughs> on set, you know with the, the three camera shoots. And, you know, I, when it became single camera is when I became interested in it. And, um, and so uh, yeah, and then you, cause you could do so much more and you can take it that, you know, it became more like film because you would take it off, off location, you know? So right. um, yeah, so, you know um, I knew well, what I was talking about. I was still an idiot.
0: Well, and and now we're undergoing this renaissance. It's like we're we're in another golden age of television because with all the premium channel stuff and whatnot, it's like it it it's like movies. It's movie quality, you know. Yes, 100%. Screen. And now everything is being streamed. So everything yeah. is on the small screen. So Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, and I used to like hate the coloring of like sitcoms. You know how like, like you, you watch a soap opera, right? And it has yeah. like a certain color, a tone, color tone right. to it. Right? Yeah. It was always like there as if they were in sunlight, constant, endless, sickening I don't know what it was but yeah and then but and then and then the sitcoms had the same kind of coloring and I just hated the way it looked like to me I like a bit of rawness I like gritty I like I like film you know and so that's why I mean truly it it was a it was more of an aesthetic thing that I couldn't bear it and um and I also hate phoniness right you know I I have a trouble with the phony stuff like you know manufactured humor and so it I so I was mad at it, you know, and that was all we got. And so, you know, it is a timing thing. You know, life is like, it. There, it's like, when did you, when, how old were you? What did you have going for you at the time when this was, you know, in your, what were your options at that time? You know, women weren't fucking stupid all these years. We just are the women that were brought up during these times. They were, weren't allowed the same, um, you know, uh, options possibilities whatever the fucking word is but right. you know what I mean
0: yeah and they were also so burdened with you know being wives and mothers yeah you have and to be have a them. mother
1: you have yeah I mean this is what you do you know so yeah, I mean it's one of the other right right and they weren't supported in the other ways those were the only ways that they were supported mm-hmm. so um yeah so anyway but 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 so you know um you you kind of have to realize that Time, time plays a, a big part in what you are able to do at any particular time in our, you know, cause we are still evolving as we can see with everything that's going on, you know, in our government is that, you know, we, as we were saying earlier, like there are a lot of dinosaurs that are still like, you know, like they're roaming the planet and they're roaming the earth, you know, and they're looking, they're foraging for food there's just not as much food left and they're pissed off, you know? And so, <laughs> because we have to evolve, you know? And so we're still stuck and we're, and, and so all you can do is like focus on your own growth and your own, yes. you know, and just, and literally keep, because there are people like you and they're all people that are willing to grow and we can't get caught up in those energies. Cause then again, that's gonna, you know, halt us in some way. So.
0: I think it's really important to focus on what, what you can change and what you have influence over and create a beautiful life for yourself and those around you and that by doing that that is really the way that you share your gift and 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 put that positivity out into the world um i see that as a sort of quiet activism without making declarations or or any of that but simply being an example yeah and um and 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 helping other people, being a good person, and 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 giving other people opportunities, and um, you know, and, and, and sharing yeah. your gifts. Because what? Why else are we here? Hundred you know? percent.
1: I mean, if we if we scatter our energies into getting them caught up in other people's energies, because that's not that's their lesson, not ours. So we right. have to stay in our lesson, you know. And our lesson is our growth, you know. So if we do that, then 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 we can have an effect. But if we keep sort of like um, letting it disperse out all of our energy, which is not much. I mean, we have a certain amount of energy and we have a certain amount of time. And if we keep letting it disperse out and go into all these different areas, we're robbing ourselves of our path and our purpose and and actually the things that we want to achieve and our joy. So, I mean. So like you, I completely agree. And I would say that the way I keep it simple for myself, and this is, again, this is new for me because I didn't know that happiness was an option. I thought it was just like, that's ridiculous, you know? That's, that's for the, those idiots in the movies, you know? But um, I, I, re- I learned about three years ago about um, whatever makes you feel good, that is your answer. Yeah. So if it feels good, then it's right, because then you're on your path. And when it doesn't feel good, you're away from your path. And that means you're away from you and who mm-hmm. you really are. Mm-hmm. So that's what I always keep paying attention to. How does this make me feel? So I started to listen to NPR because they were doing the, you know, the, the vote for the um, impeachment vote in, in Congress. And I was like, every time a Republican spoke, <laughs> I was like, I couldn't believe it. And I was like, oh, this doesn't make me feel good. I've got to turn it off. Because I'm just going to get caught up in the fight and the argument, which is worthless because it's not reaching anybody.
0: <laughs> well, and I think too, what's really important um, is, and and it's so tempting to want to jump into the fray and have a judgment and have an opinion and all, yeah. of this, and then it spins and it becomes this other thing, and then and then you know, I think it was Dorothy Parker who said, "Hell is other people." But I but I do think that when you get away from yourself. But that, that is it. its own sort of hell, and so when you when you when you reel it back in, and come back to the things that make you happy, yeah, and and doing the things that you love to do, and you know that that's entertaining people, making them laugh, bringing them joy. I mean, those right. kinds of things. I mean, it's yep. so so interesting. Um, I remember there there was a there was a story about Louis Armstrong, the great uh-huh. Satchmo, and he he was criticized by some for appearing in certain films and you know doing his cameo thing and that was it and he was not he was not an activist in terms of um like uh, for civil rights and whatever he was right. not, he was he was not out there you know uh being an active activist however what he said was i am being seen and i'm allowed to share my gift and bring joy to everyone so the way that he saw it was his activism was in being himself and sharing (laughs) gifts and, and, and not making a stand one way or the other, but that was his way of doing it. And Mm -hmm. I, and I, and, uh, you know, there are all kinds of ways to change the world. Yes. I love that. I really love that story
1: and uh, Louis Armstrong and like, and also, you know, what that reminds me of is just that being you is being an activist because we are always being told stop being you do not be you because being you would be, be being a rebel because because other, everything else is trying to be like somebody else something that you'd seen before or what's been acceptable by society but being you is the hardest thing that anybody could possibly do and it is an act of rebellion but it is also the best thing that any of us could do period
0: it's it's a it's it's true liberation i think yep, to be absolutely. yourself fearlessly and and the other, the other element, in addition to um, n- not being judgmental, is, is having compassion for people's struggle. Because there are people who they might have a different opinion than you do, and they might go about things in a different way. And you may think they're, you know, might maybe a little wackadoodle. But at the same time, having compassion for their position and understanding that, you know, those people, they're not bad people. They're speaking from their experience and from what they see. And maybe the information they're getting, maybe it's not accurate information, but they're reacting in a certain way. And how can we help these people rather than just saying, those people over there are the enemy.
1: Right, right. No, of course. Um, The thing is, is that um, we all have an opportunity every day to to um, challenge our own beliefs. And it's really important that we do that because our beliefs are our ego. And that's the thing we tie ourselves to and cling to. Mm-hmm. So as soon as you start to acknowledge your ego and that if you're in your anger, that's what I was talking about. Like when I was listening to the um, impeachment, um, uh, whatever you call it, um, whatever vote um, was that, you um, the the republicans there was a lot of rage and so i call them the screaming egos Mm -hmm. um the trumpsters or whatever Mm -hmm. and it's not it's it's i say it's not okay in the sense that you've got to challenge yourself because otherwise you're hurting people because if your ego is winning it's hurting you're hurting and you're hurting others so we have to acknowledge that our ego is our protector but you know you don't need protection anymore you're not a child you're an adult and it's okay you know children need protection with their ego you know it's that's our first uh it's it's, it's, you know that's when we come into this world it's all we have Mm -hmm. right because we're not in charge Mm -hmm. but as an adult you are and so it is up to us to completely to constantly you know look inside go how you know um does this feel good that's where the feeling comes in because if ego is winning it doesn't feel good it right. means your, your brain is caught up in it because that's your ego's best friend. They get caught up in it. It's going to go get into agreement, right? It's going to, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like the devil, you know? And he goes, yeah, yeah. And the brain goes, yeah, 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 we're right. And that's why I'm right. You know, I'm right. Because it go blah, blah, blah. And so-and-so did this and that. And whenever you have that constant, nonstop conversation going on, that's when ego is completely winning and you're losing.
0: Yeah. And when you're not challenging the narrative, because I mean, we all have the narrative, which, which is, you know, And, and we, and the the purpose of the ego is really, it's your, it's your vehicle, it gets you from point A to point B, it gives you a context, you know, it's like, this is Uh your yourself with a small S, and it's handy, but by God, don't don't let it drive. <laughs> that's
1: exactly, it's, it's very it's dangerous. In the back
0: seat, but don't let it drive. It,
1: 100%, right? So that, that's, that's, that's the whole thing. And so our, our job on this planet, I believe, is to keep uh, educating ourselves, like learning and growing and changing.
0: That's, that's our purpose on the planet, well, I believe. And one and one of the things I wanted to, to, to talk about too is you've speaking of expanding and growing and changing and, and it, you you've done a lot a lot of travel and you've immersed yourself in different cultures and talked to a lot of people.
1: Tell me a little bit about that. Um, I would say well the most the, you know I mean the farthest I've gone to live is London and uh, which was really great and that sort of happened. I've had these epiphanies, not, I, I would say, I would call them epiphanies, but really they were like the voice of God, you know, because they were you were they were like, uh, you're off track, bitch, you know? And um, then I would hear like a voice, you know? So I've had it like four different times in my life, had divine intervention. <clears throat> and that last time was, I was in Chicago, went back to Chicago because I missed it so much. I felt like I was in exile from it. My city, my favorite city for so many years um and i wanted to go back and i felt like i could at that particular time this is in 2010 when i actually went back and then i was back home for a couple of years and uh you know and um went on a family trip to mexico with the family and for my mother's 75th birthday and and um, when i was it didn't go so great and uh, i thought they were gonna drown me um instead so i wanted to drown myself in the end and so then, um, and so then when I got back home, I remember like dragging my, my bag into, the, into my apartment and like the fireworks are going off. And I went, oh my God, it's fucking New Year's, you know, cause it was, I was so inundated with this horrific experience. And I got in the shower and I, and I just said, God, I'm really grateful to be back in Chicago again and to see my family again. But I, and then I heard a voice very clear and even and said, moved to London and I was just like, what the fuck? <laughs> you know, I just came out of nowhere. I never except for when we were there as a as a family trip like many years ago. I was a teenager. No, I wasn't a teenager, I was 20. Um I went, we went there and I remember saying, I could live here, just like real casual, standing out in front of a building, I can live here. And that was it. Never thought about it again. Yeah. And then I heard that voice and and then once you have information, you can't go backwards. It's like, it was like all of a sudden my whole world opened up to me and I was like, oh, and then I, it, it, I couldn't close the door, couldn't. So I did everything I could, sold my pickup truck. You know, I, I, I was doing real estate in Chicago because I love architecture so much. And so that's what I wanted to do while I was doing stand-up, you know, on other nights. And, and um, I, I made enough money like really quickly. And I moved to London. And I was there for four years, and it was amazing. Um, I met people from, I, like you said, a very diverse. Uh, London is an amazing city in the sense that, um, not the way it's laid out. Don't get me wrong, but because of the people, the people are amazing, and they do come from all over the world. And you would, you can't walk two steps without hearing another language spoken. Not two feet, you know. And I loved that so much. And I, and I taught acting while I was there. Um, it just sort of happened, you know, and it ended up being one of the most amazing experiences because, you know, these are people from all over the place. So, and they were there, but there's a certain amount of um, everybody tries to be sensible, you know and we are all brought up a certain way, you know and so I was like, stop being sensible. It's not all right. Be unreasonable, be a cocksucker. Like I was really, and they loved it. You know, and I also use my humor. I mean, cause I'm a comic, you know, so we had a fucking blast and I like to go deep and they were willing to go deep. They wanted to go deep with me. And we, you know, I mean, I know I, I, we're still close to all these people. I mean, there's lots of them, you know, and we're still close to this day. And I'm actually going to do another class with them because they messaged me and said, you know, we were all talking and we miss you and your teaching and we want to, can we do a zoom class? Yeah. You know, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yes. I miss you too. I love you. You know? So anyway, but, but it was an amazing experience performing for them as a comic. In the UK, was brilliant because um, they also wanted they wanted truth, they wanted heart, they wanted vulnerability. Um, the Brits are really good at writing. You know, they're really good at being clever.
0: Yeah, but they're they not a- tradition. They have an oral tradition and a and a, and, a, and a and a tradition of writing like the Irish. You know, right, right. music and poetry
1: yes but the irish know how to combine that with emotion whereas the brits did not connect emotion or or even entertainment value for the most part like that not not all of them but the most part so because and so um So what I was bringing was, uh, you know, passion and emotion and rawness and that kind of stuff and characterizations and acting out everything and the same kind of thing. And um, they were, you know, very responsive. And, um, and I also made friends with audience members who are still friends to this day, like would come over to me and it was like, I would have these like really tremendous connections with people. So I always say like, the people, you know, their 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 souls are as deep as their history. Um, they they are such their their souls are so deep and their hearts are they their hearts are so big. They are they really really are, and I mean that is in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so I'm really grateful for that opportunity to be around open-hearted people. Mm-hmm. And you know, here in L. A. is a joke. I mean, it's a fucking joke. Because the business is 24/7 here, people are narcissists. They're sickening. Their egos are in charge. They're afraid of looking bad. Feel you know anything, and so they're constant. And so and they're desperate. And that desperate energy, which is also what the you know the people that I worked with, um, in particular the the actors, there wasn't there was not that desperation or that you know um, like let me just get there. I just want to get there. Whereas here it's like because I, I taught here as well acting and. Um, It's like, they just want to get there. They just want to get there. Okay. So what else do I, what else do I got to do? You know, whatever it was kind of like, you got to fucking feel, you know, you got to know who the fuck you are before you can become somebody else because you, because you use all of you as an actor, you have to you allow yourself all your traits and all your emotions. And so that, so that you can
0: access them to be somebody else, to connect to somebody else, you You know, find the truth in that, in that character. It's not about pretend it's about finding the truth. A hundred that,
1: because we're all the same. We are all the same. So if you can allow all of you, then you can allow yourself to become somebody else and connect to somebody else. But if you if you don't like those parts of you, you're not gonna like those parts of other people. And that's how we recreate the other,
0: mm-hmm. right?
1: So anyway, so all this stuff, you know, it's kind of magical and I was learning it as I was going. It was like something that I, you know, whatever. And so that was in UK. And then I came back here and I went, oh, here goes that slap across the face again. of like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't I don't know what you're saying I I was just I don't get emotional until page seven okay I don't talk about when I was raped until page seven so I'm fine until seven I'm like no I'm sorry you're not fine (laughs) exactly seriously some of the exchanges I had I wanted to I mean it was it was horrifying it makes you want to run screaming back to London. I I did. I mean, I really did. I really, it's really. But so, like, you can't, and you can't fight with them. You've just got to be you, do you, and people who will come to you, they'll come to you. And you, and they will. Without effort, they will.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So, yeah, there's, there's a, also a climate in, in LA that's sort of like, pick me, pick me. I want to be seen. I want to be noticed. I want to be picked.
1: Relevant. The thing relevant. Is
0: that, relevant that that desperation though like you said is telegraphed you know and and so when when they're just like when you go to a place where that that isn't there it's so refreshing and so beautiful immersing with you know like normal salt of the earth people who who are just authentically themselves it's so beautiful
1: it really is and they haven't changed i mean we're still in i mean these are beautiful beautiful human beings and they just continue to want to grow and they are and that is so amazing so amazing
0: well yeah. there's and there's a thing called empathy that no, is in short in this world <laughs> what <laughs> <laughs> empathy what's that yeah well I, exactly. I mean, and and the best the best actors of course are those who have that and and, and really um you know it's it's interesting i i find that so many some of the best dramatic actors are people who started in comedy. And I think it has something to do with empathy.
1: 100%, I agree with you 100%, oh, but, but I'll, I'll say this. I think mo- the reason people have empathy is because they've been through something themselves and they've, uh, and, and they've felt and so that causes you to, to connect, uh, to relate to other people in pain, like other, you connect to other people's hurt, you connect to other people's anger, you connect to other, you know, but mostly it's their pain. And so, um, and so if you have not experienced that in your life, or haven't given yourself permission to experience that, you won't be able to, uh, you know, you won't be able to acknowledge it or connect to somebody else's. And so, Um, you know the Robin Williams you know he had a difficult go of it you know but he was an incredible he was really funny he really was really funny and he was an incredible actor because he had the depth so you know comics I feel like if you if you deal with your shit you know um, you can be a a brilliant the one of the more brilliant actors because you know comics typically not all but typically they come from tough backgrounds. You know, they, it's a survival mechanism. It's a, you know, it's a defense mechanism, comedy is. And so um, if you can go there and let yourself go there um, and then also be willing to take your armor off to be an actor because a comic has that armor on oftentimes Mm -hmm. um, in order to sort of be accepted, right? You know, you have to put your armor on like, Hey, hey, all (laughs) right, nothing affects me. (laughs) You can't hurt me, look at me, you know. So, you know, I mean, like, you know, so you have to like wear a couple of extra jackets, you know, literally, you know, sometimes, you know. um, But if you can, if you could be willing to be vulnerable as a comic on stage and start to remove some of these layers in your jackets and your, you know, whatever, your shields, you can actually be a deep, uh, brilliant, um, actor and uh, and so does that make sense what I'm saying? It, it yeah. does and, and actually- You're allowing Jim- your vulnerability. It's all about vulnerability. An actor yeah. needs to be vulnerable and I think the best comics have vulnerability.
0: So um, yeah. And uh, Jim Carrey talked a bit about how at one point when he was kind of remaking his approach to comedy when he yep. first started out, he said that he decided to do exactly that, take away his armor and he would go up on stage with nothing prepared. Right. And just see what happened. And he said, right. "I knew that I, I wanted to allow myself to fail, yeah, and to really allow myself to be vulnerable." And he said, "Boy, I learned a lot. Yeah, I was absolutely. where how he kind of restarted himself.
1: That's right. And that is truly how you become you. So instead of everything else is a you know a should right? It should look like this. I should act like this. I should you know I shouldn't be insecure. I shouldn't be afraid. I shouldn't be this as a Excuse me, as opposed to, oh my God, I'm really scared right now. Like, this is awful, you know? And then that's comedy right there because it's your truth. So people yes. only connect, uh, you know, universal truth is what people connect to. Doesn't matter who you are, who they are. They will, t- so the truth is always the answer. Mm-hmm. If you're, you know what I mean? But you have to be brave. And most people are, are, are don't have that kind of bravery. Mm-hmm. They don't wanna, they don't wanna look like a fool, you know? Um, but i think you know it's all a process of like loving yourself and trusting yourself and if you can do that and know that you're you know that there's nothing wrong with you mm-hmm. you know there's just nothing wrong with you when the more you can get that i think the more amazing experiences you have the the, the freer you are the the more more chances you can take you know knowing that you're going to be fine <laughs>
0: Well, and it's always the thing when, when people talk about a performance that really moved them, they always, always talk about, oh my God, I related to her story or his story, or, or he was so vulnerable. I yes. felt him. And I, you know, and it, it's that, that is what is the profound earth shaking moment that you have when you witness that. You witness somebody's vulnerability. It's more powerful than anything.
1: Yes. Absolutely, and I think the reason for that is because it's a moment of trust because the audience is saying, oh, this person is trusting us. They're trusting me with themselves, with their truth. And all people I really believe really want is to to feel trusted and to trust. And so when you have that, there's no condescension going on. Um, There's no, uh, you're not gonna, you won't get it. You, I'm sorry, you can't handle that ah uh, uh, you know just so sickening you know like you know there's there's a lot of there was a comedy there's a comedy section that is like that um and so anyway you guys know my relationship okay so anyway i you know whatever right as opposed to vulnerability you know what i'm in this place right now um this is what i'm learning from but this is what was ridiculous about it you know what i'm talking about right you know i always i always liked um you know like in a physical way of what i'm talking about is like when you have a stage that's really high up and you're looking down on your audience, there's a manifestation of also, you know, of uh, you guys won't get this, so I'll just sort of talk above your heads for a little while and like whatever you grasp, you grasp. I'm not gonna really be honest with you because you want not I like, ah, right? There's that, right? And then there's the, when the stage is a bit lower and you're just, just above the state audience just so they can see you, but not above them, you know, um, not better than them. Uh, there's an equality, there's a communication and that's what I'm after. And that's what I love about stand-up. is like there's an intimacy and a connection. And those are always my favorite situations. So the, the height of a stage really does matter. <laughs> it really does. Why Robin Williams probably walked into the audience as often as he did is because he just wants to be amongst them. He doesn't want to be better than, I'm not better than you. I want you to know that and I want you to know I see you and I want to make you laugh and I want to make you feel good because that's what he wanted Mm -hmm. you know so to me that's what that's that's what our calling is you know
0: and comedy doesn't happen when there's no audience nope (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: yeah yeah that's that's true i mean i I suppose people can entertain themselves
0: um but uh only for so long (laughs) but the um tell me a little bit about your pilot that you're writing
1: um yeah so uh this was originally written 2005 it's called unprepared for life and almost true story except for the good parts those had to be made up um (laughs) and um i i've been wanting to write this for many many years but like That by so it started in two thousand five and finished it actually in two thousand seven and got it put out into the castings and you know it was already in the breakdowns and stuff and and I was getting phone calls from people like I put me in it and all this kind of stuff I'm like oh my god oh my god no 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 it's not ready because I hadn't broken through who I was and I really wanted it to be more truthful I knew my story. There was so much to my story, and it just was like, if I, I was afraid that if I put this movie out, that I'm never going to be able to really tell my story like it would the way that it needs to be told. And that was, you know, I guess that was almost 16 years ago or whatever, 15 years ago almost. So, so anyway, and so all this time though, I was like, how do I fix it though? How do I fix it? And I, every single morning, I woke up not knowing what to do, thinking about it and not knowing what to do. And so finally, when I was living in London in my last year there, which was in 2014 or I think no that's not true 2016 um i was like uh i you know i realized that i need to come back and i need to tell my story and my friend peter sprite said to me he's like and i think your movie is a series you can't fit your life into 90 minutes cynthia you know and it's a TV series. And so when he, Peter was always that guy for that, my buddy that was there for me all these years, it was like my support system, you know? And so when he said that, I was like, yeah, you know, even though I've always said TV sucks cock, you know, that kind of stuff, right? You know? (laughs) But like when I saw Transparent, that also inspired me, Uh, you know, a bunch of Jewish people, uh, you know, miserable. And I thought I can, that sounds right, you know? So anyway. (laughs) <laughs> so anyway but that's me well, yeah, exactly right <laughs> but like humorless unfortunately um and so I was like that part of it wasn't me but like I but I got it you know it's like yes 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 and that was sort of like it let me know that I can do this and so um anyway so I finally it took me all this time though and I've been working on it and I, I had different I, I did readings and it came to different um, versions of itself that I loved all of them and it was amazing but um I finally I guess I got to a point where I. I was able to tell the story in a way that I wouldn't keep changing it every day. So I had to start not present day. I had to get out of present day because present day kept changing, you know? And so, and there was so many other, you know, whatever uh, micro stories that I kept getting attached to. Anyway, so when I found my format and my formula, which is what I would be searching for all this time, I finally found it. And then this woman who had, was interested in wanting, you know, cause she came to my reading a few years back and, and three years ago and said, you know, um, I, you know, she wanted to help me. So she was a manager and she wanted to help me. And she was like, okay, so you know, where it was at. It wasn't there yet though. It just wasn't there yet. So then I finished this last class while during this whole shutdown, you know, during our pandemic. And i had taken us two classes during it, you know, and then the second one, um, I think it was, I took two, maybe one, just one, but anyway, so the last day of the class and I was having a breakthrough, I was like, you know, it was on Zoom, right? So you can like hide your camera and like have an emotional breakdown while on Zoom, while you're supposed to be learning, you know, because I was, I had this obstacle of like, you can't do it. You can't do it. You don't know what you're talking about. How dare you, right? Which is the ego and it's fear. So I was battling with myself. So every Zoom class I was like, you know, like <laughs> I was like crying. I was like, okay, mute, you know, whatever. Mute, mute, hide camera, mute, hide, you know, whatever. <laughs> so, and it literally I it needed to be done this way in order for me to break through my fears which were so big, you know, of not mattering. Mm-hmm. My 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 belief that I didn't matter and you know, my story didn't matter. And that you know, and how dare you? And so it was really intense. And on the last class, um, I, my I checked my phone um, after the class, and it was a message from her, the the girl that was interested. And she's like, I've been thinking about you, been my on my mind, and I really want to help you with your project. I want to, I really want to get it out there because I really think it's brilliant. And so I was like, you know, and and I felt ready. And I was like, oh my god! And so I finished the fucking thing, you know, I you know. I texted her back. I couldn't bear the phone call because I was afraid that if she, you know, that she heard my voice, she'd know I was a loser. But I'm just kidding. But anyway, who knows? Who knows? Who knows why? But I was just like, I'll just send her a text, you know. And so then I finished the script though. I sent it to her and she fucking loved it. We had some edit went back and forth. I created a lookbook, which is basically 17 pages of like the whole synopsis of, of the entire season one and the synopsis and the characters and pictures and images and all this kind of stuff and some animation as well because it's part of so it's partial animation partial live action the childhood takes place in animation and everything else is live action because i always my whole life i've always seen everything in animation like anything in the extreme that happened to me my whole life it was Mm -hmm. like i saw it animated which is why my stand-up is kind of animated yeah yeah, yeah so um that's So that sort of being true to myself. And um, also I think um, you can sort of, if things are in the extreme, obviously you're able to show them better in animation than you can in real life. And plus I didn't want to see any child actors talking at all. I just did not, (laughs) please don't, please, please. You ever watch a soap opera and they're like, um, kids, oh, it's so good to see you little Charlie, go out and play now, get it. You know, It was like, they couldn't get rid of that fucking thing fast enough, you know? And, and, um, <laughs> like, you know, so I don't want to see that. I don't want to ruin any child's life. Let's just do it in an animation and everybody. And plus I wouldn't want to put any real kid through anything that I went through. So <laughs> fuck's sake, you know? <laughs> so anyway, so they're, so they're getting it out now. So we, we, uh, her and her partner, we, have we've, um, we're now sending it out as of this week. So wow. it's very exciting. Unprepared for life.
0: Wow. Yeah. So,
1: um, yeah. And they're good people, so I, you know, I believe in it, and it's nice to feel that way. To not feel like I have to go under under a rock for a while. Like I feel okay with it. I feel like, nope, this is good. You You, you sound
0: like you're actually prepared for life now.
1: Yeah, exactly. I'm prepared. Yeah, I've I've uh, told my stories over and over and over and over and over and over and over. (laughs) Motherfucker, let's get this shit out there. Um.
0: Anyway, so yeah, yeah. And it's happening. Yeah. Oh wow, this well this sounds like a good place to uh to put a bow around it this was a really beautiful conversation there's a lot in here
1: <laughs> it's great yeah, it is it's great to talk to you yeah. it was
0: really wonderful thank you
1: cynthia thank you, thank you for Dana. thanks it's for so, so asking great. thanks for even remembering that i exist It is adorable. Oh. <laughs> what
0: is adorable of you
1: i see you <laughs> you matter Thank you. That's
0: nice. And thank you so much for joining me for that epic talk with Cynthia Levin. Wow. Gives you a lot to think about, doesn't it? Both in allowing yourself to be vulnerable, allowing yourself to be moved, to find the truth, to be who you really are. These are all great lessons and it is a lot to think about. Thank you so much to Cynthia for her time today, and I hope you're all taking really good care of each other, as well as taking really good care of yourselves, and I promise to see you on the other side. Take good care, everybody. Until next time, thanks for listening.